This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Label Sternbach and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Joining us right now is a person who's no stranger to this show, Dr. Michael Osterholm, a Regents professor and epidemiologist. He's a vice president of the United States. He's been at the forefront of this fight on COVID-19. And doctor, thank you so much for joining us. And as we come on the air, we're seeing reports about an uptick in the trend of people who are taking the brand new vaccine designed to find the latest version of COVID. What are you seeing? Well, this is one where I have to lead with the single most important uh, perspective on this issue, and that is humility. Uh, Anyone who tells you exactly where this virus is going or what it's going to do right now, uh, be careful because they probably have a bridge to sell you to. Uh, This is a challenge. Uh, We are watching this pandemic play out. And while, as I've said many times over the past uh, months, we are not going to experience another uh, 2020, 2021, 2022 experience. We're not going to see another uh, Delta or Omicron take off with these incredibly high uh, peaks in cases. But we are going to continue to see substantial action, and we don't understand exactly why, uh, whether it's waning immunity, whether it's the variant change, uh, whatever. Uh, and we'll talk about that today. But so let me just give you the assessment of what's actually happening as we best know it. And I want to add perspective to that in the sense that with the uh, elimination of many of our surveillance tools that we've had in the community, uh, we don't necessarily know what's going on. I know of a number of individuals with COVID today and who have become infected within the last seven to 10 days who took a home test, never reported the case to anyone. And there is no mechanism for reporting many of these cases. So uh, we really are limited in our ability to depict what's happening with cases in our community, and that's true for around the world. But let me go ahead and give you my sense of what's happening right now, at least here in the United States, with some context within the international perspective. First of all, all of our metrics that we do measure continue to rise, which is certainly concerning considering the timing with the holidays. As you remember, in the last episode, we discussed much of the COVID activity in terms of wastewater data. At that point, COVID levels were nearing the highest they had been at any point in 2023, and 77% of states were reporting high or very high levels of COVID. Now imagine that, high or very high levels of COVID. Now the fast forward two weeks to today, and we're at ending 2023 with wastewater levels as high as they were in January 2023, and I'm not sure when we might see them finally decline. The Northeast and the Midwest continue to see much higher levels compared to the South and the West, but activities on the rise across the entire country, and as I'll comment in a moment, throughout the world. That said, I think we need to be very cautious in interpreting what exactly this rise in SARS-CoV-2 detected in the wastewater really means. These are not cases. Let's take a step back and clarify exactly what wastewater data is. When we talk about wastewater data, We're generally referring to the effective SARS-CoV-2 virus concentration or copies of virus per milliliter of sewage. We get these data from BioBot analytics, though the data briefly came from Verily when BioBot's partnership with the CDC ended back in October. 
We use this wastewater data because it historically has been a good leading indicator of COVID activity in the U.S. That said, we never really developed an interpretation of exactly how many copies of virus per milliliter of sewage translates into actual numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. And I think things are more unclear now than they've been at any point in the pandemic. Many have speculated that the rapidly spreading JN1 variant, which we'll talk more about later in the episode, could cause more gastrointestinal illness than previous variants and therefore actually put more viral copies into the wastewater system per case. If this is true, it certainly could contribute to an increased amount of virus in the wastewater relative to the number of clinical cases that are actually occurring. However, anecdotal reports are not the same as actual evidence and we currently lack any quality evidence supporting or refuting this theory, so it's difficult to say whether this is the case or not. It's possible that the increase of virus detected in wastewater is solely due to an increase in transmission. It's also possible we're seeing more GI illness with this variant, and thus more fecal shedding of the virus that contributes to increased wastewater levels. It's really too soon to say without more data on symptoms associated with the JN1 variant, but for now, we need to have this possibility in the back of our minds when we interpret the wastewater data with this variant or any emerging variant for that matter. Moving on to other metrics beyond wastewater, hospitalizations in the U.S. are up 10.4% in the last week. More than 25,000 new admissions occurred during that time. This is the highest number of hospitalizations since February 11th. Let me repeat that. Last week, we saw the highest number of hospitalizations for COVID since February 11th, almost a year ago. Emergency room visits are up 6.6%, with 2% of ED visits now testing positive for COVID. Unfortunately, deaths are still around 1,300 a week, which means we're losing about 186 Americans every single day. This marks a 16th straight week in which weekly deaths have exceeded 1,000. Think about the fact, as we just talked about the holiday season, using this average number of deaths per week, almost 200 people died on Christmas Day in this country from COVID. Imagine what those families experienced on Christmas Day. We are a long ways from where we want to be, and I can only hope that people start to consider the ongoing risk that COVID-19 poses. I know all of these numbers are not how we want to close out 2023 and ring in the new year, so I do want to provide a little positive news. Data from the recently released preprint from the Centers for Infectious Diseases in the Netherlands suggests that the monoclonal XBB vaccine booster is around 70% effective in preventing both hospital and ICU admission in those 60 years of age and older. I've been hearing a lot of discussion about these data over the last week and giving the sense that this may be the best the vaccine has performed since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, let me just add a footnote of reality. While this is promising news, I think we need to interpret the data with real caution. Remember in 2020, when the first data came out on both the Pfizer and the Moderna mRNA vaccines, which for the data presented to the FDA, they were anywhere from 94 to 96% effective in reducing infection, not just serious illness, but infection. But then look what happened at six months and eight months out. Well, the 70% effective number comes from hospitalization data from the Netherlands from October 9th through December 5th of this year. The earliest that anyone in the Netherlands could receive the XBB vaccine was October 2nd, meaning that all those in the study who were vaccinated received their dose between one week and a little over two months before hospitalization. 
This suggests for the first couple of months, this vaccine is quite effective in preventing hospitalizations of those 60 years of age and older. But again, remember 2020. This is great news, but I don't necessarily think this means that we're going to continue to see this high effectiveness of six months post-vaccination or maybe even three to four months post-vaccination. We need to keep a close eye on this so that we can make the best possible recommendations regarding the timing of future doses and so that we do not overpromise the effectiveness of this vaccine to the public. Our COVID vaccines, including the monovalent XBB vaccine, which is the one currently available, are really important tools for preventing severe disease and death due to COVID-19. But we need to be clear about the limitations of these tools, which include the durability of their protection by age. That's Dr. Michael Osterholm on New Beginnings, and we'll be right back. I'm glad you found us. This is New Beginnings, and it happened this week. In 1642, physicist Galileo died at the age of 77. In 1675, the New York Fishing Company became the first corporation chartered in the United States. In 1815, the Americans defeated the British in the Battle of New Orleans. In 1825, inventor Eli Whitney died at the age of 59. He invented the cotton gin. In 1918, the 14 points for peace after the Great War were outlined by President Woodrow Wilson. In 1925, the Texas State Supreme Court became the first all-female Supreme Court. In 1941, Boy Scouts founder Lloyd Robert Baldwin Powell died at the age of 83. In 1957, in an article appearing in Look magazine, Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to break the color lines in Major League Baseball, announced that he was retiring from the sport. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson declared a legislation called War on Poverty during a State of the Union address. Skipping to 2004, in an interview with ABC's Primetime Thursday, Pete Rose, baseball's all-time hits leader, admitted that he had bet on baseball and the Cincinnati Reds while he managed the team. In 2010, Art Cloakley, the man behind the cartoonish, whimsical, green-colored clay figure called Gumby, died at the age of 88. And in 2016, drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman was taken back into custody after being captured in a raid in Mexico. That government says Guzman tried to avoid capture by escaping through a drain, but was caught as he tried to get away in a vehicle. He escaped from a Mexican prison earlier in the year. It happened this week, and I'm Freddie Bell. And now, our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. Hi again, everyone, and it's my pleasure to say Happy New Year to Kathy McClear. She is AARP Minnesota State Director, and we're talking about works and jobs. And before we really get into this, because it's a pithy topic today, how can our listeners reach out to you, Kathy McClear? And welcome back. Oh, well, Happy New Year, Freddie, and thanks for having me back this year. Uh, folks can find anything they want to know about AARP Minnesota and more at aarp.org forward slash MN. Jobs and work, work and jobs, it's an ever it's like a moving target. How can you help our listeners and in particular your members to navigate uh, the changing job mar- job market and how does AARP help? Yeah, so I mean as you know, the job market is always changing, right? Qualifications that people are looking for, educational requirements that people are looking for. The big thing that AARP is really looking at is is making sure that all workers are treated fairly based on their qualifications and not their age. 
we know that for folks 50 and older, um, it can sometimes take those folks twice as long to find a job or a different job as it, as it takes someone younger than them. Um, so it's really important to make sure you're ready to, ready to be in that job market and meet the needs of, of those that are hiring. So what can what does AARP do in this in this particular realm? Do you help them to find jobs or do you counsel? What's what's the service? We have a lot of resources that are available and and uh, really it just uh, takes a visit to our website and you can find more about this uh, at AARP.org forward slash work. Um, we have custom tools. We have resources. Uh, we have uh, an AARP job board, so we can match employers mm. that are really committed um, to a- an age-diverse workforce. And we have a number of employers who have signed a pledge, in fact, that they are willing to hire workers who are 50 and older. Um, and so we encourage those folks to, to uh, post jobs on our job board. We know that having that right resume, um, because as uh, as someone who hires people, that resume is so important. It's got to look good. It's got to have the right information. Um, and so we have an, uh, a resume advisor that offers free resume review that can highlight your skills and provide some personalized and actionable feedback for someone who's building that resume. And we also have some skill builders. So we know that uh, times are changing, right? Um, even if you've been in, in the same job for a number of years, that job changes pretty frequently. And so we offer some self-paced online learning. Um, we have the ability for folks to earn certificates for either uh, for free or at a reduced course, a cost um, to really give those job seekers an edge in today's competitive market. I know we've talked before about uh, marketable skills because you're doing something in one industry does not necessarily mean that it's just for that industry. There's a transferable skill in that regard as well. Is that is that what part of what you're sharing to your members and to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. It's not always about the education that you have or, uh, you know, maybe a specific skill that you have, but it's how you can use those skills in a new or a different way. Um, and so we've teamed up with Mind Edge. Uh, which is a, a great uh, opportunity to take some learning uh, courses to boost your skills, um, figure out what, you know, where your skills are marketable and how that might translate into something in a different career field. And we know that at 50, people aren't staying in the same job for 15 or 20 or 30 years anymore. Folks are changing jobs a lot more frequently. And that's why it's so important to stay up to speed on those skills. What would be your final thought to our listeners this morning? You know, it's it's never too late to reinvent yourself. And all it takes is a little dedication and a little bit of learning uh, to, to make that next leap. So hopefully folks will join us at AARP.org forward slash work for tips and access to some of those tools and resources. She's Kathy McClear, AARP's Minnesota State Director, and you're listening to New Beginnings. A lot of people are suffering through illnesses and respiratory concerns and all the rest of it. Joining us this morning is Melissa McMahon. She is the Minnesota Department of Health. She's a leader in the Influenza Surveillance Unit. And I know people are going through influenza, Melissa. They're going through RSV. They're going through COVID. My question is, to start out, how do you know the difference between the three of those without taking a test? You know what it's flu like. You know what the flu is like. You know what a common cold is like. How can you distinguish between these three big ones? The easiest way, obviously, to tell the difference between the three is with a test. There's a few kind of subtle differences, 
Um, it's hard to tell symptomatically, honestly. Um, influenza, you tend to get more of the body aches. COVID, you tend to get you know, more of a sore throat kind of situation. Um, and RSV is a bit more of like a dry, hacky cough. A dry, um, hacky cough. So is RSV yeah. new or is it just in our vernacular now because we can put a name to it because we want to distinguish between it and COVID and uh, the flu? Yeah, RSV has been around for quite a long time. Um, I think people used to refer to it as croup a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think it's just more of a change in terminology. People are calling it what it is actually called instead of um, maybe lumping it together with other things. And I think just the improvements in testing and being able to identify it versus other things has brought it a little bit to the forefront. But it's been around for sure. So at what point uh, would it be prudent to get a test if you're starting to feel ill? I would say if you're starting to feel ill, um, especially if you're feeling severely ill and would like some sort of treatment, um, that would be a good time to get a test. Uh, the treatment is, is different. So there's antivirals for flu. There's antivirals for COVID. They are different. Um, so you would need to know what you have. There's really just supportive care for RSV. There's an um, like a specific antiviral for it, but there are some treatments that can help. So um, if you're feeling really ill, feeling like you're not sure if you want some sort of treatment, that would be a good time to give your doctor a call and see if testing or treatment is, is appropriate. That makes a lot of sense. So what what's the latest? What are we seeing? Are we seeing more hospitalizations or less with all three of these big three? Uh, we are seeing some of each right now. Well, just to be expected for this time of year, this is respiratory viral season for sure. We're starting to see a little bit less RSV and a little bit more flu, uh, which again is uh, seasonally appropriate. That is, this is about the time of year we see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but COVID's still around as well. You know, COVID's still being COVID. So <laughs> we're having a little <laughs> bit of all three right now. Um, luckily, the way to protect yourself from them is largely the same. You know, obviously getting vaccinated is is going to be the best protection. Um, There's a vaccine against flu and there's one against COVID. So make sure you're up to date on those. Um, And then for some people, there there is a vaccine available for RSV. Um, They should talk to their doctor to see if that's a vaccine that they should get. Um, But otherwise, you know, keep your hands washed. Make sure you're wiping down surfaces that are touched often, you know, in your home, doorknobs, things like that, counters. Stay home if you're feeling ill. Like, if you do get ill, make sure you don't spread it to other people. Wearing a mask is always a good additional option to protect yourself and others. If you're not sure if you're feeling under the weather, a mask is always a good extra barrier. How can you help people through who are suffering through vaccine fatigue, especially with regard to COVID? Right. It's it's a lot. I think... Initially, it wasn't clear if COVID vaccines were going to have to be frequent or just a one-time deal. It is looking like they're going to be probably an every-year thing like influenza. So it's a lot, but it does help. You can get both at the same time, um, which would you know, eliminate your need to go to a doctor or pharmacy or wherever you get your vaccines more than once. But it is important to get both. You know, it, it's a lot. It's something you got to plan it's something you got to do you know your arm might be sore for a bit afterwards but it's far better than getting sick so it's you- definitely not it's pleasant uh, to get either <laughs> flu or covid yeah so so the vex i mean for people who don't really love getting vaccines 
you know, I myself, I have strong reactions to vaccines, so my arm gets sore. I might feel under the weather for a little bit, like a couple hours, but that is way better than actually getting sick. Um, so I will take it every time. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. So if our audience would like more information about vaccines or how to get the treatment that they need, what's the best route to go? Sure. I would say if they have um, questions about vaccines and if they should get them, when they should get them, if, you know, they're eligible to get them or if they have any kind of, there are pre-existing conditions that mean a vaccine may not be safe for you. All those kind of questions, uh, definitely they should call their doctors um, or whoever they get their vaccines from. And then in terms of uh, treatment, if they're worried that if they're ill, they want treatment, that's another good time to call their doctor. If they just have general questions um, about vaccine and what's available and what it does, or if they have just general questions about influenza disease, uh, the Minnesota Department of Health is happy to help. They can definitely call us. And this is New Beginnings. Thank you so much for listening to New Beginnings. I'm Freddie Bell. And right now it's time for some information from the lighter side of my desk. There are rumors of aliens at Bayside Marketplace in downtown Miami. They went viral on social media. This comes after a large fight involving 50 juveniles that drew heavy police presence in the area about a week ago. Many online conspiracy theorists are suggesting that the police weren't there to handle the teenagers, but rather 8 to 10 feet tall shadow aliens. Officer Michael Vega with the Miami Police is reiterating that there were no aliens, UFOs, or ETs. No airports were closed. No power outages occurred. The phrases Miami Mall and Aliens in Miami were among the top searches on X's trending tab on Friday. Here are four things that you probably didn't know yesterday. The state of Missouri manufactures the most guns. Hawaii manufactures the fewest. The last major Hollywood movie to be released on VHS was A History of Violence in 2006. Skin accounts for 15% of your body weight. Wow. And finally, the four things you didn't know yesterday. While many of us are trying to move away from plastic bags, the average American still uses 140 plastic bags in a year. It's wacky, but it's true. First responders in Spain were called in to rescue a naked man stuck in a top-loading washing machine where he had been hiding in order to surprise his girlfriend. It took them 20 minutes to get him out. And did you participate in the Ice Bucket Challenge? It turns 10 years old this year. In the summer of 2014, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge took the Internet by storm, becoming the largest social media movement in medical history. The challenge involved participants being filmed as they had a bucket of ice water poured over their heads before nominating others to do the same. The viral sensation was not just a fun activity. It had a significant purpose. It aimed at raising awareness and funds for ALS, a disease that degrades nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord over time, leading to loss of muscle control and ultimately death. The challenge was a resounding success. It involved 17 million people and raised an estimated $220 million worldwide. The fund's raise had a profound impact on ALS research. They helped scientists identify 12 genes that play a critical role in ALS, opening the door to potential treatments. The funds also allowed the ALS Association to increase its research budget and initiate new clinical trials. I'm Freddie Bell from the lighter side of my desk this week, and this is New Beginnings.
This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings, New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Now's my favorite time of the program when we turn our attention to talk finance with Label Sternbach. He is a foremost expert on all things money, all things uh, retirement, and I'm just wondering... Label, looking at the major trends of the past few years, uh, which one do you believe will continue to influence the markets in 2024? Good morning. Good morning. That, that That's a really great question. And a loaded one to start the day with. <laughs> uh, let, let's break it down. I think I think that the overall trend, this is what I've been telling my clients, uh, you know, I've really been saying for the last, you know, a year plus now. And you know, every time I think we might be coming to a close and things might be changing, the market just turns around and and does it all over again. And I think the trend that we're seeing is that we've got we still have two forces in the market, and those two forces, one is very much you know, uh, you know, hoorah, we we got lots to go, and the other one is we've we've um, the Fed has pulled back too much, and we're going to have a recession. And the question is just how far, how much of a recession we need to have. And it really is, you know, when you hear Wall Street talking about the bears and the bulls, that's what we have right now. And it's it's really odd um, because while Wall Street likes to talk about, you know, the bears and the bulls and, you know, it, it, what they're talking about is traders and their attitudes, you rarely see it really translate this way into the market. And that's because it used to be historically the vast majority of the participants of the market, 96% of the money was institutional investors. But right now, what you have, you know, and this this started with COVID and it's only accelerated, is you have these people, these everyday people who don't really understand economics, they don't have the discipline, and they're just trading based on their feelings, but they're trading options. So they're controlling a huge amount of money with very little capital, and that's allowing them to have this outside sway on the market, which is having a sway on Wall Street who, you know, Wall Street knows better, they're disciplined, but it's very hard to stay disciplined when you see billions of dollars uh, moving back and forth, back and forth based on the suppositions of what's going to happen. So I think that that trend, that volatility that we have, it's going to stay with us. I What I've been saying is, you know, it's flavor of the month, right? One month, We'll have, you know, the bulls will be, you know, uh, you know, this, you know, hear some good news and they're going to be on a roar, right? And they're going to be like, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then the bulls are going to have, the beers are going to have it and we're going to go in the reverse. And it's, you know, there's no telling what's going to set the market off. It could even be the same piece of news, but one month it's, uh, it's interpreted positively and the other month it's ter- interpreted negatively. And I think we're going to have this until we get closer to the election, possibly through the election, where we, you know, have more clarity as to what the future is really going to look like. Um, and I, I think we're in for a wild ride. It's really interesting. Uh, this is really a less a couple of lessons here. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, market volatility and the different things that can impact the market. I'm thinking about uh, label how COVID uh, impacted the market. And now we've got, you talked uh, a few weeks ago about how the overseas wars were impacting the market. Uh, These impacts are a real thing. And it's really something, uh, I'm guessing it's really something that people who are in retirement or facing retirement really need to take a look at with their advisors. Yeah, it, it is definitely something that they need to take a look at with their advisors. It's something they should be looking at their portfolio. And they also need to be evaluating their advisors and see, 
do their advisors have the discipline and the knowledge base to help them navigate this, right? Because, you know, anyone can make money in a bull market, right? It, it, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. The question is, is when you have volatility, when you have a down market or a sideways market, it takes a lot of skill to navigate, right? It's a lot harder to navigate um, through those choppy waters and create a smooth ride, right? right? Anyone could just hold on for dear life. The question is, do you want to be holding on for dear life? And does your advisor have the tools in their toolkit to help you avoid it um, or create the experience that you want? And if their answer is, oh, well, let's put you in annuities, that's, you know, that's one tool. It's great, but annuities don't don't necessarily uh, solve the problem. They just change the problem. Interesting. Everybody, Label Sternbach with us this, today as we uh, talk about markets and uh, the different impacts. So what do you think about the upcoming election? How do you think it will impact the markets? It's going to have a huge impact. I, I think there's no two ways about it. We have we have a few we have a few very pressing issues that need to be addressed. And we have a very we have a very divided Congress and we have a divided nation. Um, but we have some legislation that's coming up or that needs to be passed that will have major economic impact for years to come. Um, the biggest one that I know is on everyone's mind because they keep bringing it up to me is the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, it basically changed the tax code. It made it inflation adjusted. It added the standard deduction and made it made the tax code a lot more friendly for a lot of people. And it's set to expire at the end of 2025. When that expires, the question is, what is going to replace it? Is it just going to get extended? Is it going to uh, get repealed? Is it going to be adjusted? And a lot of economic activity is tied to that. There's a lot of economic incentives in there. There's also a wealth transfer. So, you know, where money is in the economy and who's controlling it, who's spending it is tied up in that tax code. And so the real question is, is, you know, who's going to come into office? Is it going to be, you know, um, and what are the what's Congress going to look like? What's their makeup? Are they going to increase taxes? Are they going to decrease taxes? Um, are they going to spend more money, you know, in foreign aid and things like that? Or are they going to stimulate the local economy? These are all major policy questions that need to be addressed that right now kind of we're in a deadlock. Things aren't really happening and they're standing still and there needs to be decisive action on them. Um, and that's part of the reason why we are seeing this volatility and this reaction to the Fed, because the Fed is the only one who's actually taking action. So people are, you know, tying all their hopes to the Fed, but it's really not fair to the Fed to tie the entire economy to them. They're really only in control of money supply um, and supposed to be indirectly, you know, controlling how many people are hired or fired, but they don't really have control over that. Congress has a lot more control over creating or destroying jobs. Interesting. So maybe you can put your arm around uh, the shoulders of a retiree. Uh, we're talking about these potential policy changes. Should people near or in retirement be aware of uh, what what should they really focus on right now? And how might uh, this focus area impact retirement planning label? So I think there the focus needs to be on right now. They really need to focus on, you know, where am I on in the retirement journey? And are my assets growing faster than inflation? We can't keep our we we can't miss that inflation number, right? As retirees, that is the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on us. 
The second thing that's going to have a big impact on us is tax code, right? So we really need to keep our eye to the ground of what is Congress talking about when it comes to the tax code? Are they going to be increasing taxes? Are they going to be decreasing taxes? Are they going to be, um, you know, changing survivorship rules? Are they going to be taxing unrealized gains in, you know, retirement accounts? These are things that have been discussed in Congress, and we need to see what's going to happen. Um, I think kind of alongside that, we need to look at economic policy, right, and Social Security. Social Security right now, as it stands, is not sustainable. It We, we are, you know, it, it's a legalized Ponzi scheme. And as long as we have more people paying into it than we have taking out, it's okay. But the fact is, is that we have more and more people retiring and the, you know, the the employee base, the the base that's paying wages into Social Security is decreasing. And at a certain point, there's just going to be not enough dollars coming in. And so the question is going to be, you know, Congress is going to either have to cut benefits or they're going to have to raise taxes or do some combination of the two. They've already done some of that with things like the deemed filing rule. So the question is, and we really got to keep our eye on it, is what are they going to do that's going to decrease our benefits? And if we haven't taken Social Security, because that's usually who gets cut, what, oh, you know, we got to keep an eye on what they're talking about. We can't just think, oh, well, it's not going to affect us because, you know, Social Security is down the road. You know, we're not receiving Social Security. We're going to get what is due to us because it's not an entitlement program. You know, it's an entitlement program, not a welfare program. The fact is, is they can monkey around with it. They do it on a regular basis. They have done it. They've cut people's benefits and people voted for it because they didn't know what they were voting for. So we really got to keep an eye on that. So to summarize, you got inflation. We we got to keep our eye on taxes. We got to keep our eye on things like Social Security. Um, and then we got to keep our eye on the economy, right? It's easy to stay, you know, to get the uh, returns that we need when interest rates are, you know, four or 5%. But as interest rates come down, it's going to be a lot harder to get that return. And that's something that we really need to keep our eye on the ball on so that we don't end up, you know, two, three, four years into, you know, low interest rates. And then, and, but inflation is staying at, you know, four or 5%. And we realize, oh, crap. We now have 20% less than we thought because our buying power didn't keep up. Interesting. So I'm wondering, do you target, are you looking at specific lawmakers or a senator or a congressperson? Is there someone we should pay attention to as we go through these changes going through this election cycle with regard to our retirement funds and Social Security? So I'm not looking at any specific lawmaker. What I'm looking to see, um, what are the two things I'm really looking at are, what are the people who are running for election? What are their talking points? And what mm-hmm. are the things that are consistent among them? Because, and and especially with the presidential candidates, because they're using, the talking points that they're using are things that they think are going to appeal to a large enough base, right? Which if they think those talking points are going to appeal to a large enough base, that means there's some backing to it. Right. That that means that there's a decent chance that something like that is going to get get buried into whatever final laws get passed. Right. Now, they're obviously going to talk rhetoric. They're going to talk, you know, hyperbole. So they're going to, you know, go to the you know full end of the spectrum. But if you hear somebody talking about something that's an extreme, think about, OK, what is the you know, what's the less extreme version of that? And if the other side of the aisle is talking about something that sounds similar to that if, you know, bring again, you dial down the extremity of it. Um, chances are that's something that's going to happen, right? And again, we don't know who's going to be in power. We don't know what it's going to look like. 
Um, and we don't know what their agenda is, but we want to keep an eye on what the overall trends are and what people are thinking, you know, what people think people will be willing to accept, because that means that you're going to have multiple politicians running on those platforms or who think that that's something that's going to get them reelected or elected. And that's what our real threat, the real threat to us is. Um, you also kind of want to keep an eye on the uh, the stupid comments that congressmen make, um, you know, <laughs> They because they'll sometimes they say the, the the quiet parts out loud that they shouldn't be saying <laughs> and they they do it to get attention. But, you know, if you hear something that, you know, kind of sounds like left field from some politician, they're using usually saying it to bash someone else. Uh, those are the things that I kind of like take a second look at and say, well, is it really that outlandish? Are there other people talking about this? Because that's something that we need to be worried about. Interesting. We only have a couple of minutes left and I want to get this in. So how do we balance the need for growth versus the need for stability in our portfolios as we talk about the times that we're in, Label? So I think really the the real key here is is to to have hedged positions, right? We don't know which direction the market's going to take. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? And, you know, whether and the question is the time horizon, right? Is it going to go up? This month versus next month, is it going to go up this year versus next year or, you know, this five years versus the next five years? Right. So you, you need to stagger your investments over t different time horizons. That's number one. Number two is you need to make sure that your investments will pay off regardless of whether the market goes up or down. Right. And, and that's not me advocating for annuity because annuities don't actually do that. Um, most annuities anyways. Um, right. What you want. There are other types of investments that either, you know, it's hedge growth, um, you have, you know, mixing, you know, stocks and bonds, you have things that will pay out, they, you know, they usually, they're more esoteric investments, but there are things that will pay out regardless of whether the market is going up or down. And now is kind of the time for that. Now is also the time when you have strategies that look for stocks that have been beaten up more than the overall market. This is the time when those strategies shine. They're not very good in bull markets. They're sometimes they're they work in beer markets, but in sideways markets where you have a lot of volatility, there are strategies that they really shine in this time. And so, while I don't advocate timing for the market, what I do think is a, is important to understand the market we're in and make sure that your investments are set up so that your principal that the principal that you need is protected, so that your money is always going to be there, that it's growing at least to keep pace with inflation, if not more, and that your future money has a way to profit regardless of what direction the market is going to go in. Because the last thing you want, right, let's just, you know, go have a little refresher. In 2000, when the dot-com bust, right, it took, it took, you know, the market went down for three years in a row, negative returns for three years in a row, and it didn't recover really for almost 10 years. And that's not something that we really have the ability to do in retirement. Um, 2008, same thing. You know, it took a few years to fully recover. And you need to make sure that your investments are structured in such a way so that you're keeping pace with inflation during those times that that, that, negative, that negative return doesn't impact your ability to retire or stay retired. And that's, that's really critical to, to make sure that happens. And, you know, that, that's the conversations you need to be having with your advisor. Thank you, Label. We look forward to hearing from you again next week. Label's website is yields for you. That's yieldsforyou.com. Yields, the number four, the letter U.com. And more new beginnings is straight ahead.
And today is National Chocolate-Covered Cherry Day. It spotlights a favorite during many holidays. Chocolate-covered cherry lovers know how impossible it is to eat just one of these candies. Candy makers combine these two favorite flavors into one delicious treat and turns it into something irresistible. They also often make the candy with a sweet liquid center and, in some cases, a liqueur filling. Although originally made with a liqueur, cordials or chocolate-covered cherries are more commonly made with a sugar syrup flavored with cherries. The pitted cherries have been cooked in sugar syrup and jarred. And stop by your favorite chocolate shop and indulge in several ounces of this dip treat. And make sure to get enough to share, too. Today we celebrate National Chocolate-Covered Cherries Day. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the Senior Minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. The popular author Marianne Williamson said in her first and most famous book, A Return to Love, that God, the divine, speaks to us in a way we can hear. That's comforting. God gets our attention uniquely. For some of us, it's on Sunday morning in a beautiful worship service with wonderful music and focused prayer that some of us grasp. That idea of the Christ incarnation, Christ within. Others explore this world of wonders in many ways. The arts, exploring nature. And there, they really get it. They get that idea. Others reach a hand out to the world, encouraging the disheartened, feeding the hungry, visiting those that are in some form of bondage, mental or imprisoned. They reach out and serve another, lifting another up, And that's how they get the idea. I tried to convey last week in the Easter lesson this idea of service, ministering, helping another. For those of us that have most of our life needs met, we're relatively comfortable. Some are extremely comfortable and blessed with many things. People that live in abundance, if you think about it, they only get this idea, they only find this joy through reaching out and helping those who don't have as much. Think about it. 
their prayers, their desires, their dreams, their goals have been met. Where are they going to find joy? But in helping others discover the goodness of God. And for those of us that have limitations or lack in our life, our joy comes when someone comes to help us, to lift us up, to encourage us, a teacher, an aid, someone that helps you, and then you get it. This grand idea. I must be worth something. Carol came to my aid. Gerald thought I was worthy of help, of a little boost. As Marianne Williamson said, God speaks to us in a way that we can hear uniquely, our way. Rohr goes on to describe this incarnational world view. The divine, the Christ is permeating all. He describes it as an idea in which matter and spirit are understood to have never been separated. Rudolf Steiner said it very simply and briefly, which is kind of unusual for Rudolf Steiner. And he said, there is never matter, this material stuff, there is never matter that is not filled with spirit. And there is never spirit in isolation that is not expressing somehow in matter. Many of us have believed God up there, we're alone down here. The Christ idea, it's all one. It's all one. Our part is to understand that. In the church, we would say it is our job to hold the faith. To believe in the unlimited possibilities. That good will express in each and every situation This view relies more, listen, on awakening than joining some spiritual community. It relies more on awakening than joining. More on seeing than obeying. More on growth in consciousness and love than on clergy, experts, morality, scriptures, or rituals. The code word that Rohr chooses 
for this worldview, this perspective on life, is simply Christ. And in our tradition, it is, you know, Christ within. So I invite you this week, we'll begin in a moment of silence, but play with this preposition and this proposition. Play with this idea of divinity, of God's presence, of the risen one, of the anointed, of the power, of the good. Is it located within you? Or is it your proposition, your perspective, your world view, how you see others, how you see this world, how you see the possibilities, how you see the path before you? It is a world of wonders. So let's take a moment and turn within. I'm going to speak a very old form of this idea. It inspired our prayer for protection that we speak every Sunday. Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ to the right of me, Christ to the left of me. Christ is in my lying, my sitting, my rising. Christ is heart of all who know me. Christ on tongue of all who meet me. Christ in eye of all who see me. Christ in ear of all who hear me. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the senior minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. Hey there, here are today's words to the wise. Read for inspiration. Today's Word to the Wise encourages the habit of reading as a source of motivation, creativity, and personal growth. Books have the unique ability to transport readers to different worlds, expose us to diverse perspectives, and provide insights into human experience. Whether it's nonfiction, fiction, poetry, or any genre, reading can spark new ideas, ignite passion, and offer solutions to life's challenges. So make it a practice to immerse yourself in the written word and let the pages of a book, like Words to the Wise, become a wellspring of inspiration that fuels your imagination and enriches your life. Today's Words to the Wise, read for inspiration. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.